God humble us this morning to the point where we realize our limit, to the point where we realize how full of ourselves we are, to the point where we realize the only thing we can do is to fall at your feet. There is no merit, no work, no faith we can muster, but only to acknowledge that there is nothing good that lives in me and to fall down at the feet of you who hung on the cross. God, by your Spirit, speak to us here this morning, for those who are present, for those who are at home, remind us of the glorious, glorious picture of your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Sin, trespasses, iniquity, wickedness, evilness. When was the last time you had a casual conversation about those words? Alright, we know, I know I'm full of a full here of people who go to church. When was the last time you just had a casual conversation with those who were outside the church about these words? When was the last time you heard a politician mention sin in a political speech? I can tell you, it was in the 70s. The last time we heard a, a politician mention sin in a political speech was in the 70s, and he, and since then we have never heard it again. Even to the point where a few days ago, Scott Morrison's giving a speech, and he gives a speech about the horribleness of hoarding and gathering things for ourselves. Instead of calling it sin, we call it un-Australian. But it's not un-Australian. It's actually very Australian. Because Australians are evil and wicked. And to think of yourself in any other way is unbiblical and private. Our words, sin, trespasses, iniquity, wickedness and evil, Jesus never hid from. But today, sadly, the preachers are hiding from. We change these words into words like bad, or mistakes, or burdens, rather than stating the truth of what they are. Evil. Sin. Sadly, our preaching has been weakened by the substitute of these words. And in doing so, we make out that our sin is just a mere accident. I didn't mean to do it. It was just a mistake. Or it was just a burden. Or I'm just a bad person. But I'm not wicked. I'm not evil. And in doing so, we lessen the weight of the cross. We lessen the beauty of a holy God descending into the likeness of human flesh, sinless perfection, and dying in our place. When we say they're just mistakes, or I'm not evil but I'm just bad, we elevate ourselves and we decrease Christ. The last two weeks, we've looked at Paul's prayers for the prayer for the Ephesians, and we talked about how he prays for the spiritual blessings. He doesn't list 
the things, he, even in his thankfulness, he doesn't list the, uh, the, the, the new job that they may have got or the prospering uh, wealth that they have increased in. No, but he lists the spiritual increase, the work of grace in their life. And he prays for spiritual knowledge. I pray that your hearts will be enlightened so that you may grow in the hope that you have in Christ, in the glorious inheritance that is waiting for you, in the immeasurable power of Christ. These are the things that he wants us to know about. These are the things he prays for us, not new jobs, not new wealth, but rather to know more of this glorious gospel. And Paul doesn't just pray these things, but he also teaches on them. So chapter 2 follows on quite uh, deliberately to say, I pray that you will know this, and now I teach you so you do know this. I teach you the gospel. And from 1 to 10, he reminds us again of the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. And he starts with the wickedness and the brokenness of humanity. Verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Do you feel dead? Do you feel like your status is actually dead before God? There's, there's a heaviness to, to Paul's words here and he's deliberately being heavy. He doesn't want to wash over the the brokenness of humanity. He wants to paint it as black as black could be. So he uses a statement that we all understand of being dead. I've heard it said before, and, and many preachers have used this illustration, that we see the stars at their brightest when the sky is at its darkest. When we're out as far west as we can go, we see the glory and beauty of the stars. We see... The beauty of a diamond when they put it on a black cloth to present it to you. And Paul now presents us as the blackness and Christ as this precious stone, this precious beauty, this shining bright, and he uses a deadness to describe. Now we all understand the weight of being dead. If we look throughout the whole of human history, no one has conquered death except for Christ. No one has been able to raise the dead except for Christ. Yes, we can have people who say they died for a moment, but no one has been dead for years and come back to life. The state of a human body that is dead is a helpless, hopeless state. It's a state where there is no internal hope. In fact, it's a state where there's no external hope. We know that when we see a body lying there, we know that that is the end. But what we need to remember here is this word, you were dead. You were. Paul's speaking to the church. And in him speaking to the church, he's actually using these weighty terms to encourage the church. And he's saying, church, you were dead. You're not anymore, but you once were dead. And you need to remember where you came from so you can appreciate what you have now. But I don't want to blanket statement, make a blanket statement here to believe that all of you are in Christ. 
There are people who can go to church for many, many years, decades even, and hear the gospel preached faithfully week in and week out and not know the gospel. So for some of you, and I don't know because I'm not God, but for some of you, you're still dead. You're still dead. And we need to clarify something here. Because many of you could be like, I've got an objection to that. I feel alive. I'm actually moving around. Like, I'm breathing here. I actually am alive. Well, Paul states that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. He's not saying just physically dead. You're trespasses and sins. That is how you are dead. In other words, you are dead spiritually. So trespasses means to make a misstep or a deliberate misstep. And we continually make these deliberate missteps away from God. To sin means to miss the mark or miss the standard. It was actually an archery term, and it's pretty much stating you didn't just miss the bullseye, you missed the whole target. You're way off course. So what is the standard? And what are the steps we should take to understand our deadness? Well, the standard that God gives us is to be holy like Him. Be holy, for I am holy, He says. And the missteps that we keep making is turning away from His law day in and day out. So rather than go through the whole Ten Commandments, let's sum them up as Jesus sums them up. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself, to which no one has achieved for even a split second in all of human history until Christ walked the earth. None of us have been able to faithfully continue obedience in the law of God and love Him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. And therefore we have completely missed the standard of holiness. Holiness is the standard. Holiness is what God calls us to be. Now we can have good virtues, right? We, we did do good deeds before we were Christians. Some of us were quite probably nice people. I wouldn't use the term that you're a good person, but you're a nice person. Maybe you even did some charity work and there's probably people you know in the world where you're like, man, they seem good. And that is because of whose image we were created. We were created in the image of God. And there's glimpses of the image of God in each and every human being. Even the worst of humans. And the good deeds that we see in people's lives come from a place of being made in the image of God, but they cannot continue that. And in fact, most of their good deeds would have some sort of selfish motive underlying. So when we look at people, we see that we are spiritually dead, but at times we see glimpses of the image of God. So we are essentially a dead image of God. A broken, depraved, image of God. It's like looking in a mirror that is smeared. It's like looking in a mirror that is shuttered, shattered beyond repair. 
Romans 3 tells us a bit more about the standard that we've missed. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all. It's an all-inclusive statement. Every single person has sinned. All of us have missed the mark of holiness and therefore have fallen short of God's glory is standing. So it doesn't matter what our actions look like. We're no closer to achieving holiness. So maybe some of us are liars and haters and are hoarding and stealing and cheating. And maybe some of us are murderers, murderers and rapists and pedophiles. And although those sins are comparable and some are worse than others, and I do agree that they are worse than others, you are all, we are all, dead before God without Christ. We've all missed the ultimate standard of holiness and the actions that resonate from them are mere ripple effects from the one sin that we broke. Do We do not love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. So some of us protect our image of ourselves, and some of us protect the God that we love, which is ourself, by lying and by hating and hoarding and by stealing. But others of us protect the image that we've created for ourselves, in ourselves, by murdering or raving or committing adultery. They may seem worse, but an uncorrected life leads to more and greater evils. So thank God for those who disciplined you in your life and restrained you from the evil that we are all so capable of. So to be dead in our trespasses and sins means that we are dead spiritually. We are dead to the author of life. We're dead to the ability to to achieve the law of God. We are dead to any sort of imaginable relationship with God. That is what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. It says here by a preacher... Uh, MacArthur said, We do not become a liar when we tell a lie. We tell lies because we are a liar. We do not become a thief when we steal. We steal because we are already a thief. And so with murder, adultery, and covetousness, and every other sin. Committing sinful acts does not make you a sinner. We commit sinful acts because we are sinners. And Jesus confirms this by saying that all things come that come out of the mouth come from the heart. What goes into a person doesn't defile the person. What comes out? We lie because we are sinners. We don't lie and then become a sinner. Sin is from within. And it's from within our heart that evil thoughts come, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. It's in us. It's at the very core of who we are. We are by nature going to do evil. Whatever level you want to put your evilness on doesn't matter because by nature we're going to do evil. Throughout human history, people have varied greatly in their levels of human goodness and wickedness, but in relation to achieving God's holiness, they are equal failures. 
Yes, there are those who see so much more wicked. But it doesn't matter who you are and what wickedness you think you have achieved, you have, you have done. You have committed the ultimate sin of worshipping another God other than God Himself. And therefore, you are not holy and you are not near God and you are dead in your trespasses. This is the doctrine of total depravity. Doctrine simply, simply means belief, and it is important that we believe and trust in or know what the Bible teaches by understanding doctrine, and this is the doctrine of total depravity. A wrong view of total depravity will undermine the grace, mercy, and power of Christ. So when Paul says, I want you to know the hope to which you are called, I want you to know the immeasurable power of Christ, we must come to understand how depraved we actually are. We must come to understand where we were when Christ came to achieve us. We weren't reaching out. We couldn't. We were dead. We weren't aware of God. We weren't looking for God. We weren't seeking God. We were away from God, ignoring God, unable to realize that God was there. That is where we were when Christ came for us. Now the verses go on to explain what this deadness looks like and how it plays out in our life and who we follow. And it says, we were following the course of this world, we were following the devil, and we were following, following our desires. So let's just unpack a bit of those. So the unsaved person is controlled by the world's influences. And the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ is that those who are in Christ are now trying to fight against the world influences. The spiritually dead person is dominated by the world. It means we value the teachings and the, idea, the, uh, the idolatries of the world. Instead of listening to God, we follow the majority. We follow what media says. But, but when we think about that, it's, it's almost foolish, right? If you think deeply about what it means to follow the course of the world, we're following other dead people. So the world, all of the world, all have sinned and fallen short of the God. And we think about following the course of the world, whether we're following after people in history, whether we're following after our current climate and culture, we are following other dead people. It's the blind leading the blind. Or no, it's the dead leading the dead. So it's not going anywhere good. But the unsaved person is dominated by this world and they listen to the values and the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness. Think of Genesis 6, the Tower of Babel. A dead group of people hanging out together going, oh, let's build to the heavens. Let's get glory for ourselves. We can reach God. God's like, there you go. Scatter you across the globe. You can't speak the same language anymore. You can't do things that will elevate yourself. So how does this world, what is our present world defined by? And of course, this this changes from country to country and history to history. It's, it, it's changed over time, but our world right now, what are we seeing as following the course of this world? Well, three things, and I'm sure there's more. Humanism, materialism, and illicit sex. This is the world we live in. We are centered and focused primarily on humans. We think that in humanity ourselves, humans are the end of all things. It's in humanity we can find our happiness. It's through self-governing that we can determine where we can go and live and do and achieve things. It is through ourselves that we think 
we will ultimately come to fulfillment. I think from more than any other time throughout history, we have more atheists today than we've ever had before, not acknowledging that there is a God. When you look through history, pagan gods were accepted. People, even in remote places of the world, worshipped a god because they looked at the world and they said, there must be a god. They looked at the moon, they looked at the sun, they looked at the heavens, remote places of the world, they would look around themselves and they would say, there must be something more powerful than me. Our modern society, our western world, Australia at the moment says, we look at the world, we see all that's around us, and we see all that the techno- uh, all our technological advancements, and we say, we must be it. I must have this all together. Because we have excelled more than any other human in the whole of history. Humanism is a direct idolatry against God. Humanism is a blasphemous, a blasphemous teaching to believe that we are the centre of the world and we are the centre of our happiness. So following the course of this world means following after uh, the human idealism rather than worshipping God and following His ideas for God. Materialism. We don't need to go far to realise that we are a materialistic culture. Look at the shops at the moment. You can't buy anything at all. We want more, we need more, we think the next thing is going to make us happier than the last thing and we know that it never does. So following the course of the world is a constant pursuing of more stuff, more status, more power, more things, and we sell it with sex. We live in a culture today that is sexually perverted. Probably more so than any other culture in history, apart from maybe the Romans and the Greeks. Since Jesus walked the earth, we now live in an incredibly sexualized culture. We use it to sell materialism. We use it to promote humanism. We use it for all these things. And following the course of the world means that we elevate humans, we want more stuff, and we use sex to get it. We were dead. We were following the world. But we are now in Christ, made whole. We follow the culture of heaven. We live for treasure in heaven. We work. This is the encouragement of Paul. He's, he's using weighty terms and speaking bold statements to illustrate how glorious it is that we are in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world. We are now following the course of heaven and the culture of heaven. So we die to this. We were dead to God. We now die to the world. And we live countercultural to the world. We were also following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were followers of Satan. Yes, there is a demonic world. We have to believe in that. God created the heavens and the earth, and a third of the angels was cast down to the abyss because they rebelled against God, and they 
move around in the spiritual world and they tempt and allure and they encourage disobedience to God. They keep us blinded from the God of this universe. It is the same from the beginning when the devil tempted Adam and Eve, or particularly Eve in the garden, when he lured her with the fruit and showed her that it was a delight to her eyes. But the important thing to notice is that she reached out and she grabbed it. The devil is not an excuse for our sin. The devil just reminds us of the allure of this world. And the devil is there just showing us and enticing us and saying, look how good disobedience is. Not that he would use that word. Look how good the materialism is in this world. Look how good sex is in this world. Look how good you are, a human. Look how good you are. You can be like God. And the devil is a father of lies and he is lying to us and deceiving us and those who are still dead in their sin are ruled by him and they follow him. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to, to do your father's desires. You are either in Christ and made alive with Christ and follow Christ and Christ alone or you are dead and you follow the course of the world and you follow the devil. There is no in-between. We can't look identical to the world and act like all the world and say, I'm in Christ. That is wrong and unbiblical. We are spiritually dead and therefore, if we were spiritually dead, we are being enticed by the devil to continue, but continue following the course of this world. But we're not. For those who are in Christ, for those who have repented and believed, and have been raised with Christ, we follow Christ and Christ alone. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. When we were dead, we followed the passions of our flesh, our desires and our mind. And considering the two things before it, we can see that they would not be a good thing. If we're following the passions of our flesh, if we're following the desires of our mind, we are going to be led to utter darkness. Maybe in you it only manifests as lies and stealing and overall you look like a good person. But it ultimately, at one point, Look like disobeying a holy God. <coughs> your passions of your flesh were to do your own will. Your passions of your flesh were to ignore God or pretend He didn't even exist. And the book of Judges reveals to us where that leads us. A book about a nation which lives under the rule of their own eyes. A statement, a phrase that says, and the men did what were right in their own eyes, men being men and women, plural, uh, mankind. Men, they did what was right in their own eyes. And when we read this book, a nation of doing what was right in their own eyes, there is nothing but chaos and horrendous sin. Live a life unchecked before, and you will realise how dead you actually are in your wickedness. Read the book of Judges and see the weight of a nation that says, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Rape, idolatry, adultery, murder, all within this one book. It's horrendous. And we look 
in our pride and look down upon those people and say, I wouldn't do that. Well, I'm going to be honest. I probably would before I was a Christian. My heart is deeply wicked. My flesh is led by desires that gratify myself. And Galatians 5.19 tells me what's in my heart, what's in the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, possession, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all these things alike. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh cannot please God. That is the nature of it. The flesh will always turn to please itself and satisfy itself. And in order for us to come to Christ, in order for us to be drawn near to Him, in order for you, if you think about your evangelism life, going and witnessing to people, in order for them to come to know Jesus, we must come to the place where we are emptied of ourselves, where we realize the weight of our evilness, where we realize the extent of our uh, capacity for evil, and say along with Paul, I know that there is nothing good that dwells within me. That is in my flesh. In Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Isaiah, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. I have seen the glory of God and I am unworthy. If we do not come to this place, if we are preaching to the lost and they have not come to this place, I am concerned that you are not saved or they are not saved. Our salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. It is a point where we come to the end of ourselves, we empty ourselves and not come to God, but we fall down at His feet and say, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. There is no walking to Him, there's no striving to Him, there's not even crawling to Him. It is falling on your feet, falling on your face before Him. We have to preach both the curses of our sin and the blessings of God. And the curse is that we are utterly helpless, utterly dead, following the world, following the devil, and following our flesh. If you do not believe this, I have great concern for your salvation. I have great concern for your salvation. Because the outcome is that if we still live in this, you were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It is a false statement to say that all people are children of God. They were created by God. Yes, that is true. They were created by them, but they are not children of God. They are children of wrath. They deserve God's wrath to be poured out on them because they have not lived up to His holy standard. They have not loved Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They have not honored Him as God, but they have turned and worshipped themselves or other gods. Those who are children of God for those who God has claimed through the death and resurrection of Christ. 
So there is two places to sit. You are either a child of wrath, in which God will pour out his wrath on you, and will pour out his just and perfect wrath because it is a worthy punishment, or we are in Christ. Verses 1 to 3 are about the blackness of the human soul, and I would not leave us with just that. Next week we'll preach on verses 4 to 7. So let me start with the first two words in verse 4. But God. But God. Not but you. Not but your good works. Not that you turned around, or not that you grew in knowledge, or not that you had wisdom, but God, who is rich in mercy. God, who is rich in mercy. Paul draws the church to the attention of their total depravity so that we may see the sweetness and the all-sufficiency of a holy God who loves and is rich in mercy. Like the jeweler who presents the, the diamond on a black cloth to shine it out so bright to see its worth. Now our soul has been poured out and made bare. Our blackness of our soul is seen for what it is. And God is there present with the riches of his mercy. The only one who can save us. We need someone outside of us to save us. If you are dead, if you are a corpse, if you are following the way of the world, if you are following the prince of the power of the air, if you are following the flesh, you need an external source to save you. You need someone outside of you. And considering all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there is no one who is able to do this until Jesus came and took on the sinful flesh. And we're going to spend more time on what that meant, what that means next week. Next week, but he took on our sinful flesh. He dies in our place and we take on his righteousness. So that now, those who were dead are alive through Christ Jesus. We followed the world's way. We now follow the way of heaven. We followed the devil's way, we now follow Christ. We followed our flesh and its desires, we now follow the Spirit and His desires. There's two applications here for us. For those who think they are saved, for those who know they are saved, we rejoice. Rejoice and know that Satan may be just adding this little lie to you saying, you're not good enough. That's right. Own that. You aren't good enough. He may say, you need to do something first. You need to earn a bit more. Oh, that, that sin you did this week, that was too much. That is not true. You were already dead. There is nothing more you could have done to make you more dead. Therefore, fall at Jesus and rejoice that you are alive in Christ. Rejoice. If you are of the church, rejoice in Jesus, praise Jesus, follow Jesus. If you are one who has been around and do not acknowledge your sin, tremble. Tremble before the Lord. If you do not acknowledge the weight of your sin, if you do not think you are that bad, I pray. 
for your soul that you tremble. That you tremble before the Lord and you don't crawl or raise your hand or work, but you fall at the riches of his mercy that was displayed to us through Christ. We don't have to do anything. We just fall down. And we continue day after day to fall down before you and say your riches. You God are enough. And we will explore more of that next week. Let me pray. to a people that is ignorant of you, not seeking you, not wanting you, that you would come and pour out your wrath on your Son so that you would not pour it out on us. Lord, would we see the beauty of this message and that if we are dead and that it is all in you then our work is meaningless and you will bring us to completion we did nothing to be saved and we can do nothing to continue in our salvation so Lord I thank you for your mercy but I don't want to be foolish and believe that all who are in this room or all who are watching online are saved. Lord, I pray that from this moment on they will be concerned about their status before you. That they would wonder and ponder and think about their evilness and their wickedness and your standard of holiness. And that, Lord, from this, through your great and sovereign grace, that you would draw them to yourself and they would fall down humbly before you, emptying themselves of all of who they are and knowing that only you, Lord, makes death great. Oh, what riches of your glory. Oh, what riches of your mercy. Father, we love you. Thank you, Christ. Let's be moved by the Spirit that we would not follow the course of this world, follow the devil's lies, or follow our flesh. But step by step, day by day, walking in step with the Spirit so we would not gratify the desires of our flesh. We love you, Lord. We thank you that our salvation is secure. All glory be to you.